Hello and welcome to The Sound Architect. I am Sam Hughes and I have the pleasure of having Gareth Coker with me today. Thanks for joining us, Gareth. Oh, no problem. Glad to be with you today. And we'll be chatting about his work so far and specifically focusing on Ori and the Blind Forest. So, first of all, before we get into anything else, how did your career in music composition begin? Uh, How far shall we go back? Let's see. Um, So... I didn't really get into composing until fairly late in my teens. Um, and one of my teachers at school suggested I should apply to the Royal Academy of Music because uh, he'd heard me improvising in the practice rooms. And you know, improvising is an aspect of composition, but I wasn't really aware of it at the time. And uh, eventually I started to produce more structured pieces around the age of 16 and 17 and he said, put together a portfolio and apply to the Royal Academy of Music. Uh, you know, I had nothing to lose, basically, apart from the application fee. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, why not? You know, uh, I wasn't really thinking about it as a career back then. But then I got accepted and I was like, oh, OK, well, maybe this music thing could work out. Um, did my four years at the Academy, had a ton of knowledge and experience by the end of it and knew i wanted to do music for film tv video games commercials whatever and then i started planning you know the next phase and i knew i wanted to come out here to los angeles but how to get out here uh, was another was another matter the big step isn't it right it's a big it is so actually what i did i <laughs> instead of coming out here i went and got some real life experience and saved some money um, by going and teaching English in Japan for three years. It's all of the skills that I need to use as a professional person, as opposed to a composer. I would say I picked them up while I was in Japan. So you learned a lot of people's skills out there. Yes, because I didn't speak the lingo when I arrived. <laughs> so I had to kind of learn on the fly. And in, you know, in Japanese society, at your workplace, it is all about the group, which is kind of what filmmaking and game making and just general art making is. You've got to work with other people yeah. um, and you've got to be a collaborator. And getting into that mindset for three years in Japan, especially at the age of 22, when it's you know my first real serious job, um, it really removed a lot of the things that happen when you go to music school. For example, you know... <laughs> you are being told you're really good all the time, especially by your family and friends. And that's not a problem, but Japan kind of stripped that all away. And <laughs> told you the truth. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, they, you know, they appreciated that I did music, but you know, I was there to teach English and be part of the school. And that taught me about being a cog in the machine. And, you know, now I'm you know, yes, I'm a composer, but really, I'm just part of a big storytelling team that works with you know the the, the lead animator, the artists, um, the director, the writer, and we all try and put our heads together and come up with something that uh, hopefully uh, connects with people. Um, and I don't think I'd be as good at that if I hadn't had my three years of professional experience in Japan. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Then I came out here and got accepted onto the USC, uh, USC's University of Southern California. Um, they have a great film scoring program. I did that for a year. And since then, it's kind of been one thing has led to another. It's started small and uh, now Ori's come out and things are, things are going pretty good. Yeah, it seems to be going pretty well for you. <laughs> Thank you. So would you say that you went straight in with that mindset then when you're talking about from being in Japan and working as part of a team? Do you think as soon as you started on projects, you automatically slipped into that process? Yeah, I think a lot of composers, and you know, I talk to a lot of composers, it's, it's very, our job is very difficult because it's naturally, you know, we're in front of a screen the whole time. And we're alone yeah, and actually locked in the back cave, right? Locked in the cave. Exactly. Um, and we need to actually get out and speak to people because you know, by speaking to people, you know, you, you're getting life experiences and, you, and it's much easier to put that into your music. And it's the same with, you know, with working with the other team members, you, you can't really create great work in a vacuum that's at least my opinion and that's everyone's at moon's opinion it's a it's a really collaborative team um you know everyone is allowed to give feedback on everyone else's work that has its drawbacks but it also has some really serious advantages because everyone feels like they have a voice uh, yeah. and you know 
I'm not going to be commenting on art that often because I'm not a visual artist. Um, so on the other hand, when I do comment on art, it means that, wow, even Gareth commented on art. That might be a problem. <laughs> so even the composer saying something. Right. Exactly. Um, now the stuff like the, the gameplay, I might, you know, cause I've, I've got to play the game so many times, um, because I'm thinking about flow or how one music cue flows into the next and, yeah. um, and pacing and things like that. And I'm like, sometimes, uh, this section feels a bit long. Uh, what can we do to streamline it? Or conversely, this section feels short. Can we extend it? Or this section was really cool. Uh, is, can we add a bit more onto that? Um, but when everyone's doing that, it allows you to kind of fine tune the fine tune the game. Uh, it does mean we spend quite a bit of time tweaking. But I guess maybe we're not any different to that uh, to other game studios in that respect. But um, it does feel like we get 90% of the way there and then it's like oh now we're tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and constantly making changes and uh, and then Microsoft are yelling at us why haven't we got <laughs> things done um, but uh, I, I much prefer uh, the way Moon is, is set up just because you know I can contact the programmer who's in Australia on Skype and uh, we you know th- things get done really quickly you know, working in a Working in a studio, like a big game office, it can actually be harder to get hold of people, even though you might be in the same building. So you've had the experience of both, have you? I, I haven't. I've just talked to other people about it. And Thomas, Thomas, the director of Moon, he worked at he worked at Blizzard, and he, you know he's on record about saying how difficult it could be to get hold of people at Blizzard sometimes. Now he just leaves a message in someone's Skype chat, and you know you, you can tell every Skype has this thing where you can tell if the person has read the message or not. So. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's no escaping Thomas. Yes, exactly. But it works really well. It took it took a while to get used to um, get getting used to working with people around the world in different time zones um, and getting used to doing everything online. Um, keeping records and documents of all of that can be tricky at first. But having done it now for over four years, uh, we've pretty much fine-tuned it and uh, gotten it working really well and i think that's evidenced in the in the in the final products we delivered yeah definitely what was the biggest shock about working remotely then i think or biggest challenge should i say i i would say that just the biggest challenge is just, just getting organized you know we've we've all got to use dropbox and there's a lot of online apps that we've got to have access to all the time and yeah. uh remembering your passwords for all of that and then remembering which folder is which. And it's not really that much different to an office environment, but I just it because everyone is doing different things at different times. It can be it can also be hard to to keep up. And people are making different builds of the game all the time. And we have a numbering system, but some of the builds don't work. And then I have to go back, and then I have to ask someone which build do I need to to test this area properly. It's it's really just a logistical challenge. Um, yeah. But in terms of that's like a challenge, but on on the other side, we get to work whenever we want. You know, it isn't a nine till five work. Work doesn't stop at five p.m. It just because we're in different time zones. Someone is always working on the game, which uh, means when I wake up and I update, oh, uh, David implemented the music trigger thing that I needed, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, usually you just have to ask once, or we make a task in our task software, and uh, then it just gets done. Um, so once once we got to the point where a lot of things got automated, it was a lot easier. But really, yeah, I mean, just the biggest challenge was was logistics. But now we have figured it out. So long may it continue. Well, hopefully so. <laughs> now, it sounds like you were quite hands on with it, saying how you were you were playing the game a lot and you were testing things out. Now, some composers we speak to, they literally just compose the music and send that off from screenshots or videos. Yep. But it sounds yep. like you were very hands-on with the with the project. Yes, and I think this is one of the reasons why the, not just the music, but also the sound and the whole audio experience is is like it is. It's because between Andrew, the sound designer, and and me, I mean, we've play tested hundreds, and I, in my case, probably 
you know, or close to a thousand hours on the game. Wow, that's a lot of time. Yeah, you get that time when you work on something for four years, though. When you split that time up over four years, it doesn't actually work out to so much per, per day. And, you know, towards the end, it got really heavy. To, you know, towards the beginning, it was just a level here and there. But I finished the music in October, which allowed me to uh, go through the game and then see which spots needed boosting or do I need a, a little extra cue somewhere. So, yeah, I was pretty much testing from November till, till February just from a musical standpoint and looking at ways to make the music experience flow better yeah but yeah i've had access to all of the in-game files i've had access to the unity engine that we're using and basically everything that the programmers have i have access to i don't touch about 99 percent of it um, <laughs> but if I need to, I can go into Unity and they've got a nice little interface where I can change volumes, I can change fade-ins and fade-outs of cues. And if I can't do something, well, I just ask one of the programmers, hey, either where do I go or can you do this for me? And it's it's done very quickly. As for why I, you know, tested the game so much, personally speaking, uh, especially for a narrative game, I think it's essential. I actually think... I don't think it's possible to deliver your best work on a narrative game if you're not playing it. If you were doing a film, would you not watch the film after delivering music? No. You are watching the film the whole time. And I feel it's the same with games. Now, I think the conventional thinking for a video game, especially one with narrative, is, okay, we've got 20 levels. You go from level 1 to 20. Let's have 20 tracks, and we're done. And that works and it has worked for decades but i think we're in an age now where we can do a little bit more than just have you know a level track technically speaking that's kind of what i've done in ori but it's how one cue flows into the next that is the tricky part because um, in, in ori there's several different parts of the forest that all have a unique uh, a unique sound but it's like how do we how do we get from one area to another and keep it smooth um, and then how do we factor in cut scenes and story moments and make that all seamless within within the area one of the most famous or infamous scenes depending on uh depending on whether you enjoyed it or not um, <laughs> is the is the the chase scene where you're going up the tree and water is rushing after you and it's it's a it's probably the most challenging platforming part of the game but it's very exciting but that's actually several cues rolled into one because you do you have the stinger that starts the cue and that's related to the whole level the whole level takes place in a tree and this chase scene starts at the top of the tree um so the music um there's there's four different sections of music sorry this is a long time since i've thought about this so no, no, it's um, fine. Go for it. there's four sections of music so as you go up the tree the music kind of evolves a little bit but with the same bass ginzo tree music the area is called the ginzo tree there's like four segments of ginzo tree music then there's the how can i put it ginzo tree chase stinger that's related to all the music you've heard before but it kicks the music into another gear then you have the chase music itself which is still in the same key as the original ginzo tree music so it fe still feels seamless but it's a chase scene now so the action has been ramped up and then you get to the top of the tree, you finish the chase scene, and that goes seamlessly into a big epic cutscene. And I get through that cutscene, and then I have to figure out how to get from the end of the cutscene, which is in B minor, and then the opening of the next scene, which is when you wake up in the swamp, but the swamp's waters have been cleaned. That's a storyline thing, um, and it's, it's, it's all very beautiful and lush. The swamp music is in C, um, and I've got to figure out how to get from that one key to another whilst dealing with the cutscene that is taking place as well. So that that kind of gives you an idea of the level of thought that's gone into it. Instead of a instead of just a series of cues, and it would have it would have worked if I'd just done chasing cutscene, and we probably could have made it fairly seamless, but we'd have had to disguise some things with sound effects. Um, that's a, that's an old trick is using a sound effect to cover up a musical transition. I'm sure yeah. you may have done that before. Um, so, I mean, we do it in Ori a couple of times too, but, uh, um, yeah, in this, I just wanted to try and make it as seamless as possible. So it all kind of feels like a continuous piece of music that ebbs and flows. Um, but it was a giant jigsaw puzzle, uh, but very satisfying once you put the final piece in. 
Um, and so we have several areas like that because that's just one area. <laughs> just one area with all those different considerations. Yeah, there's a, just the Ginzo tree alone, I think, has, um, you know, about 14 or 15 different musical cues. Um, wow. So, yeah, and you'll experience those over, generally speaking, probably about 30 to 40 minutes if you're a reasonable game player. So, yeah, it, it, it was a lot of a lot of thought went into it. Um, and the it's the same with the prologue. The prologue is made up of, it, on the soundtrack, it's only five or six cues, I think. Um, but in, in the actual game, it's it's... It's about twenty, if I'm being honest. It's it's a lot of stuff, um, and ha- breaking it down into smaller cues just allows us to uh, trigger things in the right place and still make it feel seamless. But also, you've got to take into account the player who's just going to sit and look at the artwork for you know two minutes. How do you cater for them? How do you cater for the person who's just going to press right and try to get through the scene as quickly as possible? Yeah, the player is the biggest one to consider, isn't it? Right. I mean, you never know what they're going to do. You never know what they're going to do, and you do have to. So I just look at both extremes. I do as quickly as possible and as slow as possible, and if I can get those working, everything else is probably going to work. It's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and that is generally the case with all of the scenes in the game. So, And then you get that one player who just wants to break your game. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, there, there is, there are a couple of people who have broken it. I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of, uh, how can I put it, exploits in the game design as well. Like you can actually get through the game without getting two of the key abilities if you jump on the right pixel. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, we thought about patching that stuff, but, uh, if you've made the effort to find that pixel, it's, it would be rough to take it away. So, well, we've seen people finish the game in 31 minutes. Oh, wow. Using all of the exploits. Um, it's, uh, it's a very popular game for speedrunning. Um, so, uh, we kind of like that there's a hardcore aspect to the game. Um, it sounds like you, you had quite a lot of stems to work with on this one then. Um, actually, and this is, this is something that, uh, amuses a lot of people. There actually aren't any stems in the game. It's, it's just a lot of triggers. There is actually no layered audio anywhere. It's just very, very carefully placed triggers. That is curious. Just, okay, so here's my view on, on stems. I think they work well for some games and they don't for others. Having stems gives you a level of interacti- interactivity that is great for games which require different levels of intensity. Uh, the racing genre is the best example, um, and I'm going to use uh, Wipeout as the example because uh, that's one of my favorite racing games. Uh, so they took some popular tracks, but they got—I believe—they got the stems. So as you drive faster, the mix gets busier. But there aren't really any scenes like that in Ori. And when you're in combat, you're in combat so briefly that we tried doing the layered approach, and it just sucks because it became distracting. Um, you know, you fight a monster for like three seconds. And then you've got silence, um, or, or it's the end of the battle. Yeah, so it's a bit jarring with the difference. It became very, very jarring very, very quickly. If I was doing the chase scenes again, we might like want to do a layered approach where, you know, as you get nearer the top, the, the music lifts in intensity. But if it takes you a different amount of time, um, then it doesn't lift in intensity. There's, there's things we can do in the scripted sequences of the game with layering. But when you're just walking around... I, <sighs> I just for for Ori, I don't see. I didn't see a reason to do the layered stems approach. Now, on the other hand, it would allow us to do different mixes. But when you do that, and this is the part where I reveal I'm a total control freak, you relinquish control of the emotional experience. You are putting it in the hands of the of partly the game engine and partly the player. Now, the player part is fine, but if you want to control the player's experience um, and make them feel something, you kind of need to know what it is they're feeling at any given moment. When you add in the stems approach, uh, either you've got to hire like 10 people to test for you because it just increases the amount of testing you have to do exponentially. Because what if the game mixes a cue in a certain way with stems that doesn't feel good? With uh, With the background loops in Ori... Yeah, looping audio isn't ideal, but a lot of the cues are about five minutes long, and that's a long time to be in one area in Ori in the Blind Forest. Yeah. Because Ori moves very fast. Um, the levels, the areas are big, and they're broken up in a way that you're probably 
you, you're probably not going to be in one area for longer than five minutes unless it's a, a big puzzle area. But then with the puzzle areas, you've got the stingers. And so that breaks up breaks up the the, um, the background music. My approach for Ori was just to have the bass music for each area and then figure out how I can break up each main area into little smaller areas. Um, and then there are a lot of little boss fights and they need their own music cues and they can be still be tied to the bass music so they still have the same sounds but they are a different arrangement of the same bass music, but like with more drums or something. It's really a case of working with the design team as well, like saying, hey, can you put a door here or something? Can you put a puzzle here um, so I can use a musical stinger to get out of one cue and get into another? You know, it goes back to that teamwork thing again. It's unusual for a composer to have this much um, input, but... You know, if I ask for it, that you know, they they will usually try it, and if it doesn't work for them, they'll just say no. If can you figure out something else? It's a really unique form of working, though, isn't it? It's really good that you've had right. that interaction with the rest of the team. I mean, I'm a gamer. Like I know, I, I play a lot of video games, and I'm you know, I'm trying to you know make sure that if the experience is good for me, I think it will be good for other people. So because you know, I've played a lot of games, I've been disappointed by games, and there are some games that I love. I feel like I have a good sense for what works and what doesn't. Um, and it's the same for the rest of the team. I feel like they have good gaming sense. For I can't think of a better way to say it. And you know, we play the game a lot, and we play it, and we look at it and think, oh, how can we make this better? How can we make this smoother? How can we make this more fun for the player? Or if we're having fun, if we're really getting into it, then we just move on and we say, we're done. I mean, back to the stems thing, it's an approach that works for some games. And I think in the case of Ori, maybe we could have done it in a few places to to do alternate mixes of some of the, the areas which you're in for a longer period of time. But in the grand scheme of things, it would have only been for a couple of areas and it wasn't worth writing a whole bunch of code to support that. Um, plus the trigger system that we came up with I think is really good. So yeah, no stems in Ori. <laughs> well, that's that's a really good way of working. And if you can work without stems, surely that's a, yes. a pro because I can imagine that stems only further complicate the process in a way because you have to then test out all the variations and what's going to happen and have a lot more coding and triggering involved. It's 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 a lot more coding and it's a lot more testing and you can't control the arc of the music you just can't when you're doing it with with stems and alternate mixes whereas if i've written you know a 3 4 minute cue you know i can i can shape that and make it flow musically how i want it to flow yeah and you lose that you relinquish that control i think when you move to stems i'm yet to see a solution in any other video game that does that does that um if someone can find one please show it to me because i will study it relentlessly but um i haven't found a game yet that does it what most games do they have the background music and they do it with layers and that's great and then it goes to a scripted scene and that's where you can really up the emotional ante um and then it goes back to background music assassin's creed is a great example of this yeah their combat music is absolutely great um across the series I can tell it's layered um, because sometimes you can hear it um, and it, it's done very artfully. And then, you know, you finish, you finish the chase or your mission or whatever. And then you've, then you've got a scripted scene where everything is, uh, everything, the stakes are raised. And then there's a cut scene where the composer has complete control almost about have, over how that is, how the music is written for that scene. So um, I think with most games, you've got to have, you've got to relinquish control in parts and then you've got to be like, no, I'm controlling the musical arc here. Um, and this is how the player is going to experience it. The ideal, I think, is to have a combination of both. So, yeah. So just a good blend of the two, really. Yes, I think that would be the ideal scenario. I don't think, I just don't think you can deliver an emotional experience without, you know, having some control over the music. What you want to do is disguise it as well as possible. Uh, one thing I, 
one thing I like about Journey, there's the there's the end scene. Have you played Journey? I don't want to like spoil it. Uh, I haven't finished it yet, but don't worry okay. if you can spoil okay. it. <laughs> so so there's an there's an end scene where you, you you're kind of flying up into the clouds and the mountains, and uh, it's basically you feel like you're in control because you're moving the character, but the character is moving forward at the same pace no matter what. And so it's it's it feels it's basically you're on rails. That's kind of what it feels right, like. Okay. So the developer has given you the sense that you're in control, but actually you're going you're going to reach the the climax of the game just as, almost the same way as everyone else and journey's one example there are other games which do the same thing they they make you feel like you're in control but actually it's kind of scripted yeah there's a lot of games that use that illusion yes and that's that's another that's another sweet spot and it's, it's very difficult to pull off without it feeling contrived but i mean we did something similar in the prologue of ori you know we make the player feel like they're in control but really they're just pushing right on the stick uh, <laughs> But it, fe- it 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 makes a difference into how it feels. Instead, you know, the the prologue feels different if you're just sitting there watching it. When you're actually just controlling the characters, even in such a base way, it somehow fosters a connection. I I was like, really, when, when we started, I was like, really, this is going to be like an 11 minute opening to the game. Uh, that's a long, that's a big ask of someone who's coming to the game for the first time. But then I sat down, I was like, oh. Pressing right is okay. Um, so it does more than you think. Right, it does more than you think, and then we never do that again in the rest of the game. I don't. It's one of those things because you haven't established Ori's quick movement yet. You're not. You're not breaking the momentum of the game. Now, if we'd done a massive like ten minute cutscene where you can only press right and the characters move quite slowly, if we'd done that in the middle of the game after you've been zipping around doing all kinds of acrobatics. It would feel terrible yeah. in terms of pacing. It would feel really bad. But when you do it, we, we did it at the beginning of the game, and it feels fine because the player doesn't have any expectation as to how the character moves. Wow, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just talking about oh, script, the, script, the scripted, scripted, yeah, yeah, scripted stuff. Yeah, it's if you can deliver the illusion that the player is in control, then it it often feels more interactive than maybe it actually is. But that's a, that's a skill. Uh, another game that does that incredibly well is uncharted. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you saw that's the video at, at, at E3 this year where they did the demo, I mean, you're, you're dry, basically the car is being driven. It feels like it's being driven for you. At least it's, you're being assisted. Um, but there's so much cool stuff going on. You just don't care. Yeah. It's too awesome. Right. And that's great. They, they are, they are probably the masters of, uh, making you feel like you're in control of something, but actually they are sort of controlling the experience. I think there was a few moments in the last of us when they, uh, when they brought that out as well. Yes. I'm sure I remember a few moments where you didn't mind because it was so good. Right. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna take control away from the player, you better make sure it's good. Oh yeah, you've got to make it <laughs> worth it. Because <laughs> um, there's some games it's like really another another cutscene. Okay. Uh, how can I skip it? But uh, in uh, in other games, you know, when it's when it's done well and it's done artfully, it it should all feel seamless with with the gameplay. And then when you're back in the game, you you know you're ready to go. Deus Ex: Human Revolution is another one that does it really nicely. Uh, you're I in and out of the dialogue. That. You haven't played that one? Oh my goodness, you're you're, you're missing out. Um, it's it's one of the the great games of uh, the last five years, I would say. Wow, uh, I definitely yeah. have to pick it up then. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm looking forward to the new one, which looks absolutely insane. Yeah, they seem to keep pumping them out quite quick. All of a sudden, it's kind of slowed down for a while, and then all of a sudden, DSX games were coming out again. Well, the last one was just so good that uh, I think they're now looking to expand upon that because uh, it's it's a much loved it's a much loved franchise. Uh, the original game, I mean, I played I played through that maybe three or four times. And uh, it was the first game that kind of gave you the choice of how to finish something. You, know, you can take, take the stealth approach or the, or the action approach. And, um, but it was way ahead of its time. Go back to Ori. How, how much yes. music did you actually write for the, for the game in the end? Uh, I, would, I think there's about 140 minutes of music in the game. Okay, and how did the process work? Because it's a long process, over four years. So we started, let's see. I mean, I started probably, I started writing in the beginning of 2012, but I was part of the team before that, Just, but they didn't really have anything worthwhile to show me. Yeah. Um, but one of the first things we started doing was doing the cutscenes. That was one, that was, and and the prologue. That's stuff we started blocking out very early on, so we could like get used to the 
the heavy triggering system that we'd need to be using. There are a couple of tracks that survived the three, the three and a half years or so that I was writing, but uh, most of the first year was just really experimenting and finding the sound of the games, so finding the instruments, finding... It, it, it goes right the way down to finding the right reverb and finding the character of the game in the, in the musical instruments and the arrangement. So a lot of detail then. Yeah. I knew from the beginning I didn't want to just deliver a typical fantasy soundtrack. Um, you know, Ori's called an orchestral soundtrack, but if you listen to it, the orchestra is just part of the tapestry of the music it's not a pure orchestral soundtrack and i'm okay with that there's a lot of synthetic elements in in ori there's a lot of pads and a lot of synth ambiences in the background um but then there's a lot of different instruments from from all over the place really especially tuned percussion and i just spent a long time combining sounds in in ways that i hadn't thought of before and then trying really weird long reverbs on them and eventually i got to a place where i'm like okay well now i should probably try and start writing some some cues for different areas of the game and the first the first gameplay area to get finished was the the spirit caverns which is an area reached fairly early on and once that one was established it was like okay this works this kind of thing is the sound of the game uh let's take this as our base and let's expand upon it let's make it different for each major area of the game but uh let's make it feel like the music for the spirit caverns um so that was the first piece of music that um uh first piece of gameplay music that got approved um and then after that it kind of started coming thick and fast um but the the early process was a lot of experimentation and then once this once it was established um then it was just crank out crank out the content and make it as good as possible. <laughs> Crunch time. Yes. So how did you get involved in the project in the first place? I answered an email. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, I wish I wish I had some like epic story, but um I was member of a website called ModDB. Uh I can actually thank pretty much my entire video game career to ModDB. I'm not actually kidding about that. Wow, um, so you'd recommend being on there then? Well, in my case, yeah. I mean, it led it has led to all sorts of things. So I had, you know, a profile on ModDB. I had some of my music on there, and uh, for whatever reason, Thomas was Thomas, the director of Moon, was was on it, and he somehow found me. It doesn't even matter how. It's he found me, and he liked one of the tracks he heard. It was some kind of ethereal thing. I think I'd done for a student film, and uh, I think he thought he had a unique sound. So he contacted me, and um, you know, said he'd be interested in working with me. And it got to the stage where they had a prototype of Ori and it wasn't even called Ori back then. <laughs> and it was like, will you do the, will you do some music for the prototype? We don't have any money because that's the way it works, but we're going to pitch it to various publishers. And, uh, if we get picked up, uh, you can do the music for the game. So I did the prototype for free. I played the prototype and I was like, okay, they have something here. I'd be kind of surprised if this didn't get picked up. Right. Okay. So I did, I did three or four tracks for the prototype and then the game got picked up by Microsoft and kind of here we are. Um, wow. Fantastic. It, it came from mod DB and it came just from answering an email and all of the other stuff I've worked on primal carnage and I'm working on arc survival evolves now. Um, well, Primal Carnage also came through ModDB. So if in doubt, get your profile up on every website ever because you just never know where it's going to come from. I mean, they could come from anywhere. And, you know, if if I hadn't had my profile on ModDB, I promise probably might not, wouldn't have found me. And uh, um, it, it pays to have a major online presence now if you're if you're looking to get your career going as a composer just sign up for all of the forums it's a pain be 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 active on the ones that you enjoy being on um and uh usually you'll find that you know work might come your way especially if you know if people like your work they're gonna people have a habit of finding work that they you know is good um and yeah if your work is good people will find it and you'll probably get hired but no one's going to find you if you're not online that's it's as simple as that um that's the age we live in now and yeah from mod db i think i can trace almost every game i've ever worked on back to that because um microsoft had me take well it's actually 4j studios um but um i got 
that because um, I think our audio supervisor for Ori was having a conversation with someone else at Microsoft, and uh, then I ended up doing music for Minecraft Greek, the Greek mythology add-on. So that was nice, and th- you know that came that came out of nowhere. And we got you know we got to go back to Nashville and record some more music for that, um, and that that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, that came from Ori, which came from ODB, and I, I could go on and on about this, like where they're all traced from. Um, and it can all be traced back to ModDB. So that's how that's how I got into it. So it's not quite as simple as just answering an email then. It, there is a story there. Right, there is a story. But I, I got the gig by answering the email, basically. Um, but yeah, um, the, the backstory is, is I was on ModDB for, for a while. And I guess a few, quite a few people heard my music. And, uh, um, and the, the, rest is, the rest is history. That's quite good to hear. I've got a couple of friends on ModDB, so it's nice to know that it, it can pay off and it can be rewarding as well. There's a lot of developers on there, and some of them are really, really talented. And, you know, I think a lot of developers there might actually be working at studios and just wanting to do something on the side for fun. Um, and Because you, you just never know who is behind that avatar. You, for all you know, it could be a creative director somewhere. Yeah, especially with the indie scene. Right. You you just never know. So you might as well, you know, if 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 you're looking to get started, I wow, this is like the best plug from Mod DB. Uh, like, like <laughs> Mod DB are gonna get a flood now. of things and you're checking the post um, now. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, it's you know, there's there's other websites too that, you know, cater to similar things. I I I thought about signing up for I can never pronounce this. Is it M- machinima? Or machinima. Oh, yeah. no, I think it's machinima. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, go, go, go do a short film there. Um, you know, there's tons of people making films there. Why, why not, why not do them? Um, you know, they all need composers. Um, so, um, yeah, there's no end of resources available. You just kind of got to go out and find them and then you've got to be active. I think the active part is the kind of poignant remark yes. you've got there you've really got to keep the ball rolling and keep up with the momentum yep i mean the other the other thing and i i used to think it was so stupid i like twitter i embraced twitter around the time ori came out and it is it is awesome for engaging with your fans because i mean this sounds terrible but you don't have to write a whole massive email in response like 160 characters is enough and people are okay with that um you know someone someone writes you an email you know, i try to respond to all of the emails but it, it you know it's tough you know because there's other stuff going on but uh, you know you've you kind of just can't write hey thanks bye uh, in an email. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of if someone's taking the time to write to you you should probably take the time to write back you can sort of get away with that on twitter you can totally get away with it on Twitter. Yeah, cheers, thanks. Uh, and uh, you know, you click the favorite button, and then you're, you're <laughs> that's done. your job and, done. That's but, it. And that and that's okay. But you know, I, I used to think it was, um, you know, oh, why would I use Twitter? And it's a nice, quick way for me to say thank you to people who have you know taken the time to find me on the platform. And uh, you know, also it allows me to you know reach a bunch of people. Um, so um, yeah, it's. There's a lot of different ways to get your work out there. And I'm a rel- relative Twitter novice. If you look at other composers, um, I mean, Austin Wintry, I think, has like 20,000 followers. Grant Kirkhope has 50, almost 50,000 followers, I think. Um, and, you know, these guys are both composers, and they're really good on Twitter. And uh, I'm sure it helps them get interest in their games. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of ways to, um, to get work and to to be active but i know i know people who's like i signed up on twitter and nothing's happening i was like well you have to engage with people first um and then and then the people will gradually come to you yeah you can't Um, just make a profile and expect magic to happen if only it was that easy it's like you said about most profiles you know you set them up and you have to be active in the forums as well as the same with twitter really you know just got to be active on it so do you get quite a lot of fans on twitter and in general then from ori because it's obviously had quite a lot of positive response to the soundtrack uh yeah i mean it uh, especially around the time of the game and i i um i was kind of blown away by how good uh, the response was because you just you just don't know um i mean i kind of had a feeling that what moon had put together was really good and it all kind of came together for the for everyone in the studio but you just don't know until you put it out there and uh the game got great reviews and soundtrack got great reviews so i was like okay well i 
I'd better keep an eye on Twitter and see who's contacting me and say thank you. And um, I think one of the nicest things is actually getting compliments from other composers too, uh, including I, I have to I have to name drop uh, just a look. <laughs> uh, I actually got an email from Marty O'Donnell. Uh, oh wow, really? Yeah, um, that's fantastic. So, yeah, um, that was that was kind of surreal. I also got an email from the, the Homeworld composer, who was the soundtrack for many hours of my my teenage years. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was yeah, it's, it's it's a very cool to receive receive stuff from from other composers in particular. I mean, the other thing I enjoyed doing around the time of release was going on Twitch um, and watching other people play the game. Uh, it's like the best visual feedback you can get on your game. Um, and you know how people are responding to the scenes, the cut scenes, um, the you know the music, um, and uh, you know you drop in on Twitch and you say you're a developer or you know you're the composer, and everyone's like, oh yeah, whatever, you're lying, you're full of it, and it's like oh, I'm just going to tweet you, and uh, oh, and then it's like oh wait, you are actually <laughs> yeah, hi. And it, and it doesn't even matter like what channel you go on, whether it's, you know, a small channel like with just like three people watching or if it's one with like a hundred, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter because they're all just playing the game. Um, yeah. and, uh, um, yeah, I found that to be a really cool experience uh, and it's something that's pretty, it's basically unique to the game industry. If you're a film composer, you're not getting that kind of feedback, um, on, on your game. Um, yeah, people you know, don't live you, stream watching films. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I bet people live stream all the time watching games. You know, I, I got to see people cry and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you evil man. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge of Ori in the Blind Forest for you then? In terms of like a music cue or uh, um, like what was the most challenging piece of music to write or just in general? Was there a moment throughout the whole project where it was just the most challenging part for you as a whole? I think... I think the moment I struggled with the the most was how to deal with the ending, um, how to write the, the 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 last music cue I wrote was the ending, um, and it's because I procrastinated forever and didn't want to, to do it, <laughs> uh, because we wrapped the game up in about two and a half minutes, and a lot happens. If I'm sure you've seen The Lion King, right? Yeah. Uh, so the moment. The moment Simba defeats, from the moment Simba defeats Scar to the first end credit title hit, I believe it's about 105 seconds. And the music goes through so many different permutations. It's, it's one of Hans Zimmer's most incredible compositions. It's, uh, he goes through all of these different emotions in the space of no time. And I'm like, well, it looks like I'm going to have to do that for Ori. Wow. Uh, so, and, and a lot happens in the end of the game. Um, and you've got to deal with a lot of different, um, feelings and you've got to make that work into one coherent piece of music. Great. Uh, <laughs> so just go for it. Easy. After, after just having an epic chase, chase scene, um, as well. So you've got to, you, you've, all, I'm, you know, I'm still thinking about the pacing as well. It's like, okay, so we've, we just had high intensity. I'm not going to be able to do another high intensity cue. Like we need a low intensity section. And then it's like, okay, now I've got to go through this whole montage of ending sequences. And I had Airely, the singer over, uh, to record. I hadn't written a note when she arrived. I'm like, okay, well, I've got the singer over here now. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, kind of have to actually put something ha- together now. Right. It's like actually having her here. And I've, pro- and I've learned that now it's like getting a musician over here actually kicks my brain into gear. Um, you know, if I'm struggling to write something, uh, I will probably, I'll either just call airily or I'll just call, you know, another musician. I'll be like, uh, can you come here? Uh, let's record something. I don't know what we're going to record, but we're going to record something. <laughs> just <laughs> um, anything. Right. And, right. Because I kind of, if I've, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm paying the person to be here, then I need to make sure that I'm getting the best, best value out of them. They, you know, rather than just them just sitting there for, for an hour playing like three notes. Yeah. Um, but you know, when, when she got here, uh, the idea the the idea that ends up in the end of the game it's literally the first thing i played on the piano and i don't know why it happened like that um i'd had difficulty for you know a couple of months writing the nq why i hadn't really written anything and then all of a sudden a musician arrives and then 
I, I'm doodling at the piano and I'm like, wait, there it is. I'm done. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was kind of surreal. Like it was about, about a 20 second improvisation. And I was like, yep. Okay. It starts with this like soft, it's, uh, I don't know if you've listened to the soundtrack, but it's, it's, it's called the sacrifice on the soundtrack. It's track 31. Um, and it starts right, okay. with this, this piano broken chord thing. Uh, and that kind of repeats and builds. And then the cue really like gets gets big, but it all just come it all just came from that initial piano broken chord thing, and that just set that just set the ball rolling. And I'm like, I know what to do now. Um, and yeah, I don't know why that was a struggle, but it just was. And I think it's probably because it was the last cue, and I'm like, I'm I'm going to be done with the music after I finish this cue. And can you, it's difficult to let go of something that you've worked on for so long. Oh, it's uh, such a combination of pressure and detachment and everything else right. you can imagine. Um, but the the elation, and you know, I I, I finished the music and I knew it was good. Like I put it up against the video. And I'm like, there's there's no way moon is going to reject this and i was right i have had generally had a pretty good feeling for when i've written something good and uh, or something that works and i was like there's, there's just there's just no way um and i watched it multiple times i was like and i got the same feeling that i got each time and i was like okay uh, i'm not numb to this anymore and it's still i'm still feeling this so i'm just gonna upload this to dropbox and uh hey guys i've done the ending <laughs> watch it uh and uh yeah the version you hear in the game that's version one but uh, yeah the version in the game is version one so even though it was a version one it was by far the most agonizing cue to write i think just just doing ending getting endings right is hard um but when you do get them right it is the most satisfying thing ever um there's nothing i hate more than like a um you know a tv show or a film that doesn't have a satisfying finale and ori's ending it is many things and i but i do think it is a satisfying conclusion to the game and then you know that cue explodes into the light of nibel which is the end credits thing which is really just kind of it's kind of the anthem of the game so um you have this really big emotional cue which has it's it's got by far the most dynamic range in the score it has both the loudest moment and the quietest moment all within the space of three minutes um and then it goes into light of nibel seamlessly of course um, <laughs> and uh um, and then that's a you know four and a half minute track, which is really just a, an anthem to make the player feel good at the end of the game. Um, so, yeah, I think that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. I think it ties into my next question as well, which was going to be, what was your proudest moment if you have one? I think it, it sounds like that might be it. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I mean I think really. It's it's that you know having watched people play the end of the game, you know, I've, I've watched multiple people play it. You know, I've watched men cry playing the game. I've watched women cry playing the games. It's not just limited to to women who you know think it's a cutie game. You know, men think it's a cute game too. Um, and uh, I remember watching. Oh my goodness, I can't remember his name, um, but he's a really famous Twitch broadcaster, and his name escapes me right now. His first name's Sean, but I can't remember his his last name. Anyway, he had like 30,000 people and watching the, him finish the, the game. And, uh, you know, his, his eyes were wet and he was like, guys, I'm sorry. I just have to get my cat because that's, you know, he, that's all he has. And he's like, guys, I really love my cat. And I'm like, well, it made you feel something. And it's, wow. The, the moments that make me proud are like when I see, people moved by the game uh, or people that had a connection with the game because that tells me we did our job yes you know the gameplay is fun but or is a narrative game and if there's a there's, there's a story in there there's an arc um and we you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what is Ori? What is Nauru? Who are they? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. What matters is what they mean to you. Um, and I think one of the strengths of the game is that we have we have no no discernible dialogue. We have the, the made up language, and that allows players to fill in the gap themselves. Um, uh, that's something the journey does very well. The only way you yeah. communicate is with music, um, and you know that means you're filling in the gaps yourself. So whatever that means to you, and when it, when it means something to you, it makes the game more personal. 
Um, you know, some will see Nauru at the beginning of Ori as a father figure. Some will see as a mother figure. Some might see as a, you know, uh, an inspirational figure in their life. It doesn't really matter who they are. It, what matters is their relationship to each other. Um, and so seeing people react to the game in the way they do, it tells me that we were able to get feelings into the game that they could relate to. And I think that for me is what I'm most proud of because we clearly delivered on that front. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that everyone who played the game connected with it because, you know, I mean, there are people who don't, there are people who don't like even the greatest, what are games that are considered the greatest of all time, like the last of us or whatever, you know, there are people who don't like it. Um, <laughs> you can't please everyone. Yeah, but, it's impossible. You know, yeah. But generally speaking, you know, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at the reactions to the game and, uh, you know, it, it looks like, you know, people responded to it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's what I'm most proud of. It's just the as a composer, when your you, your music is tied into a visual that you know made people feel something, uh, that's when you know you did your job, and that's the most satisfying thing ever. Of course, and that's that's the coolest part about working on that side of gaming and that side of of anything. Really, is how you can directly tap into human emotions and yeah. connect people to the to the media that they're experiencing and that's just phenomenal yeah i mean there's no other medium like that with film you can do that but um you know it's it's it, you are being guided throughout a film and that's okay um you know in in et when when the kid like rides into the air like i'm ready for the sweeping musical melody when that happens like i'm i'm okay with that when music takes over you know it's it's you're being guided in a film with games you are being guided but you know the player also has to you know kind of fill in the, the gaps themselves a little bit but when you do that in an artful way then it makes the game a very personal experience and i think that's what ori is for a lot of people it's a it's a personal experience it's the same with journey journey is a personal experience um and it's funny that they're two completely different games um uh, with completely different mechanics but the the what people write about Ori, I think there is some symmetry. I, I'm feeling really cocky now comparing the game to Journey, but uh, <laughs> but no, it's definitely very synonymous. You can you can see a lot of it's kind of very spiritually linked. Yes, yes, that's a good way of putting it. You you saved me there. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> got you have a big hole. <laughs> yes, but no, definitely, and that you know that that narrative arc and the the connection with the player is just. One of the main things I love about video games and why I've been so yep. passionate about video games for years yep. um, is been trying to explain to people how how different it is and how the experience is so much more than just sitting down watching the telly or something, you know. And it, it can be done in all kinds of games. I mean, horror games too. I mean, I remember playing Dead Space for the and for the first three hours of Dead Space. I didn't get scared easily, but that game is a masterpiece in how to like take control of your fear. Oh. Um, because you know fear is a great emotion to be able to play with um and and dead space does it masterfully especially at the beginning of the game because you just don't know what's going on and you're not used to the mechanics you're not used to anything and you know and the, the monsters come back to life um even after you think you've killed them um and then there's the whole dismemberment thing and uh you know you, you shoot off one part of them and they just keep on coming uh there's some games that do it really well i mean a, another game series that i really love is, is silent hill you know, the mechanics of that game are really very simple but that's what makes it so good you can't actually do that much and that makes you know every time you turn a corner you know you kind of don't know what's coming and then and then when it gets to the more surreal and paranormal i mean especially in silent hill 3 the, the end of the game in silent hill 3 that will live with me for oh, forever horrifying it is horrifying you're, you're thinking about the, the the blood walls right i yeah. mean it's like oh my goodness the first time i saw that i was like one who came up with this because i don't <laughs> i don't particularly want to meet them but yeah i mean this this medium is um and and we're still scratching the surface we're I think we're where Hollywood was in the 1950s. Um, oh, definitely, you know, Hollywood's yeah. golden Hollywood's golden age was the 60s and 70s, and uh, I, I think you know we've got another 10 years before we really figure out how to make even. We're going to be making even better stuff than what we're doing now, um, and that's incredibly exciting. Oh, it's definitely exciting times, and I'm very excited for what's coming next. I mean, it's just growing exponentially what we can do, especially with the technology yeah. as well. Yep. 
We've got quite a, a big topic there. I'm going to bring it back down a bit, I'm afraid, after getting all philosophical and, and large. But um, yeah, just wanted to talk about what else you're working on at the moment, if you can tell us. Um, so I um, last month I did uh, the Minecraft Greek mythology thing, and uh, it uh, um, I've been I can probably say this I've been working on something else for um, for the Minecraft team. Um, I have. A very, very wacky game. It's probably going to be announced in two weeks. Um, actually, it is. I can actually say what it is because I think the website is live. Um, but it's a game called The Mean Greens. Okay. And it's a, uh, you, you know, this little green army man. Yeah. So it's just a multiplayer shooter. But the environments are really wacky and zany. One of the environments, I can say, probably say one of the environments. Um, it's It's like... It's like a toy room. Like, imagine the Pixar toy room from Toy Story, and you've got little green men. I'm not going to say any more because I'll probably get into trouble. But I've literally just finished mixing the the score for that, and uh, it is the score is the complete opposite of Ori. It is very up tempo. Um, it's kind of got a bit of a jazzy influence. Um, there's a bit of big band in there. All the cues are really, really fast. Um, I've co-written it with um, a couple of other guys who um who also helped me on ori my conductor alex he's uh, he's written a cue on it and uh um one of my other colleagues zach who has also um has assisted me on ori he um he uh, has written three cues as well and uh yeah we've just it's it's one of those games where um the brief was uh, really open and i got to do really wacky over the top stuff that basically if it's if it's sounding too wacky it's probably just right i mean you probably remember the team fortress 2 announcement music right it's it's kind of upbeat it's kind of got that brassy jazzy feel it's, yeah. it's a, a lot of it's kind of like that so it's a it's like an old school action soundtrack oh, awesome. uh, so yeah it's uh, it's going to be nice to deliver that because people a lot of people aren't really expecting uh are going to be expecting to hear that from from me the ethereal ethereal fantasy guy because that's basically what i've done for the minecraft expansion um which was the, the greek expansion is a lot of it is quite not similar to ori but it has the same kind of feel um because minecraft doesn't you know need epic bombastic music no, uh, uh, but yeah this is like a complete flip uh and then the other thing i'm like constantly working on now is is arc survival evolved which is uh uh, still doing unbelievably well in uh, on Steam. Uh, I actually yesterday I uploaded the the main theme of the game, which we just got recorded uh, with a uh, almost sixty piece orchestra. So that was that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, because the the mock up was was good, the, the virtual version was good, but I was like, well, let's let's get it recorded as well. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's I think that's going in the game today actually. So it'll be interesting to see the reaction to that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's been a really fun one to work on too because really the brief for that is as big and as epic as possible. Awesome. So you managed to get on, on a couple of projects that have tested your versatility as a composer then? Yes, that was always what I was hoping for. I, I like much, you know, I do love doing the Ori stuff, but it's it's nice to be challenged and like have to do different different kinds of material. I'm still waiting for the sci-fi project though. Um, <laughs> that's the next one that's, to tick off. I, I I really, I mean, hint, I would. Hint. There are there is not much I wouldn't do to work on Mass Effect. Um, I don't care if it's Mass Effect 752. Like if I get to work on even just one track of the game, I will consider that that is a, that is on my bucket list as a composer. Right, a track for Mass Effect. Right. I don't care if it's one track. I don't even care if it's a Cantina track. Like anything. Um, <laughs> I, it, it is it is probably my favorite game series of all time. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the game. I played through. I think I've played through Mass Effect 1 maybe five times, Mass Effect 2 three times. I've only played the third one once. Oh, yeah, I've, I've sunk some serious hours that into the game. some serious hours. I've only played um, each one once. And it's still a lot of hours, right? Yeah, it's, that, was, uh, that was a long time as well. But, yeah, I mean, the dream, I'd really just love to do a sci-fi game. I, like, when I started writing music, I did a lot of stuff with synths and electronics. And, you know, it's I love doing the orchestra stuff too, but I'd really love to do a sci-fi score but with orchestral elements kind of like tron legacy um that kind of thing but you know 
One day, one day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 31. I've still got plenty of time. So, uh, oh, yeah, um, you've got years of composing ahead of you. Yes, exactly. So, um, but yeah, um, I've I've made it known to a few people. It's like, hey, if, if you do a sci-fi, please keep me in mind. Uh, <laughs> just but, in uh, case, just just yes. put it out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't take up too much more of your time. I've just got one more question for you, and it's a nice, yes. light-hearted one. Okay. So, if you could have a drink with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be, and why? <laughs> Oh my goodness, you're going to have to give me like a, a minute or two because this is a tough one. I'm not going to choose a musician um, because I spend enough time with musicians as it is. So, uh, <laughs> Sick of musicians then. We, we, just, we, just talk, we just talk about the same stuff. Um, I think, ah, I've got it, great. Because I think he's a wonderful person and he makes me laugh all the time and he's clearly incredibly intelligent. If I could have a beer or a glass of wine or whatever with Neil deGrasse Tyson, I would be very happy. Well, that's quite you... a unique one. Yes. Uh, I, I'm. Uh, he has a way of presenting incredibly complex stuff in a way that anyone can understand. So I feel like I could ask him any question, the most complicated question, and I would get it back in a way that I could understand. I mean, plus his, his just way of talking with people is uh, it's very interesting. I feel like I could talk with him for hours his twitter feed is fantastic yeah i mean his twitter facebook it's uh, I, I mean he's he's clearly a genius i mean and i don't know if you've seen his series cosmos but um it's it's well worth a watch um if you, if you haven't because it's it's a really well produced uh, sci-fi uh, sorry not sci-fi it's a, a doc- documentary on on science and uh, uh and the universe pretty much um and i uh, i learned so much in that show because i'm not really a science a science buff but uh he really got me interested and uh, there's a bunch more questions i would love to ask him based on what i've seen because all of that stuff interests me but the, the material about it it's it's kind of hard to find in a presentable way yeah um and uh you know but his way of presenting it is makes makes it easy for uh, people like me who are only intelligent when it comes to music. I, I don't really have much knowledge about anything else. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's uh, that, that right, exactly. But um, you know, but you know, I would ask him. You know, is is the method of transport in Mass Effect even possible? No, see that that would be an interesting question to ask. And maybe it is. Maybe he'd come up with a scenario where it is actually possible, and that would be incredibly exciting. Maybe I would just awesome. maybe I would just want to watch him play Mass Effect. Basically, you just want neil to twitch stream mass effect <laughs> and narrate yes. over the top that would that would be the greatest twitch stream of all time i that think that would have millions of watches as well yes it would it would might break twitch um so yeah that that's that's my answer i, I yeah I, the 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 guy in second would have been kevin spacey um because i think he's awesome and i think he's cool yeah i don't think you have to defend why you chose kevin spacey i think that's one of the ones where people would just go yeah kevin spacey because he's Kevin Spacey. Right, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time. That was a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed talking about Ori and everything else. I've been Sam Hughes. I just want to say thanks again to Gareth Kaker for joining us today. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thanks again, Gareth. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. It's been great chatting with you.